Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Rod Milam. I think it's easy when we don't feel like we have the answers and we're fearful to just take that response of we got to hold somebody accountable. Yeah. Um, But it's not that simple. It's more nuanced than that. In mid-June, a shooting in downtown St. Louis left 11 young people injured and one dead. The city responded by extending hours at two recreation centers to offer at least one opportunity for youth to socialize in a safe environment on the weekends. The move was part of the city's violence prevention initiative led by the Office of Violence Prevention established one year ago. To learn more, producer Maya Norfleet sat down with its director, Will Pinckney. Maya started the conversation by asking Will to explain the Office of Violence Prevention's role within city government. Basically, OVP is a place that is a central coordinating um, department in the city. That's really, uh, it was really sort of created because, you know, people tend to work in silos, right? Within government, outside government, in community, everywhere. And the mayor, um, looking across the country and looking at what people are doing who are all struggling with violence, all these cities, they all are moving towards this, let's create this agency, division, department, whatever that makes sense in your city, that's going to really be a place that's going to coordinate a strategic direction and a strategic focus on helping communities reduce violence. And the department is new, but you've been working in violence prevention and criminal justice, public safety for much longer, including serving for 20 years as a member of the New York City Police Department and founding your own consulting firm. So you've seen this issue across uh, around violence and how it's evolved in many ways, but in some ways to stay the same. How does violence in St. Louis compare to other cities that you've either worked in or have learned from others in your profession across the country? I mean, in a lot of ways, it's the same, right? Um, First and foremost, we talk a lot about statistics and whether crime's going up or down, but one violent incident, if you're a victim, if you're present when someone else is victimized, is too much, right? And so how you feel is most important, right? So I'd say in the sense of the violence that takes place, it's the same. Do we have higher rates of violence in some places? Yes, we do. Um, But the nature of violence has changed, right? Um, I've been around and, like you said, while working in public safety, I grew up in the projects in the Bronx, so I grew up in a space where there was a lot of crime. Mm -hmm. And we talked about crime a lot more before than violence, because now gun violence really is the thing that really creates this feeling of of being unsafe, right? Mm -hmm. But the nature of violence now isn't as much gangs or two groups of people fighting with each other. A lot of the violence now is domestic violence related and just violence that grows out of social interactions. You know, you're at a gas station, you're at a club, Mm. you know, you get into an argument and now this is where the gun laws and the and the proliferation of guns in the city adds to it, right? Mm -hmm. You tend to have a gun because you can legally possess it. Right. You might have it because you want to protect yourself, not because you want to do violence against someone. Mm -hmm. You get into this argument you allow your emotions to get the best of you, but also, more importantly, I'm probably thinking this person has a gun too. Right. And I'm not waiting. 
You're not, not waiting to find out. I'm not waiting to find out. And unfortunately, that leads to a lot of violence. Mm. Is there anything that is that stands out that's uniquely St. Louis when it comes to violence compared to other cities? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think the uniqueness about it is the impact that policies, government policies, social policies, you know, the impact of the Michael Brown killing mm. and, and race and how that's affected the way people respond and, and, and perceive or react, respond and react to violence, right? Yeah. Um, race here in the city is different than pretty much anywhere else. Okay. Uh, and I say that as a person of color, a black man myself, right? Yeah. Um, and the impact of racial policies, institutional racism is really intense here. So everything starts and ends with race when you talk, have discussions about the city generally. Right. And so the impact, the disinvestment and all of those things, you have to definitely say that makes St. Louis unique in terms of violence. Um, because if you look at the communities where most violence happens, because like most other cities, violence is con concentrated in small areas, right? Mm -hmm. It's not really true that on average, anybody is going to be is susceptible to violence. Violence happens in a small number of places to groups of people that look the same, black young black men mostly. And so, but I'd say the causes of violence and the solutions to deal with it are unique in St. Louis because of race. And you mentioned specifically black men. I love that you mm -hmm. brought that up because that's exactly where we're going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, personally, my interest in violence prevention, especially violence that deals with young people, and we're talking like teens and early 20-somethings, mm -hmm. started last summer around the same time as the founding of the Office of Violence Prevention with the Kia Boys. And mm -hmm. that nationwide trend, but again, like you said, when the violence is happening to you, it feels different. So in St. Louis, it was it was a thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And after talking with owners of Kias and Hyundais and my circle for, and also for work, I started getting a little concerned for the well-being of the Kia boys because after all, they are boys mm -hmm. and, you know, young, impressionable, caught up in the wrong things. And you fast forward now to this summer where there's still some big news stories around youth violence, including the downtown shooting and an empty uh, office building that caused 11 injuries one death, and all the victims were under 20 years old, and suspect in custody is a juvenile as well. You know, and too often we hear from adults, you know, we grown here talking right now, but with more young people committing crimes and being victims of those crimes, I wanted to hear from young people themselves. And that's how I got to meet Jeremiah Miller. He's 19 years old, a graduate of Metro High School, and a couple of weeks ago I asked him for his thoughts on how young people, especially young black men like himself, end up committing violence. Here's what he had to say. There's two driving factors, right? And those are fear uh, and like trauma that created that fear and necessity. Okay. Um, and we live in a very hostile city, whether that's hostile from your neighbors, hostile from law enforcement, hostile from school, mm -hmm. a lot of especially black men go to school, black, black boys, frankly, not black men, go to school and they feel disrespected, they feel neglected, they feel like, they feel animosity mm -hmm. from the world around them, especially the people who are supposed to be taking care of them, supposed to be nurturing them, bringing them up into men. And they go out into the street where it only gets more hostile. Right. And it moves a lot faster. And 
you know, nobody reasonably thinks it's fun to go shoot somebody. Like that, I don't think I've ever heard somebody say, "Oh, can't wait to go shoot somebody on a Saturday night." Like, right. yeah, nobody really wants to do like to do that just for the sake of doing it. So, I ultimately think there's a a cycle of of trauma and poverty and violence that perpetuates more violence. That was 19-year-old Jeremiah Miller from St. Louis sharing his thoughts on why young people, specifically young black men, are drawn to violence. Well, Jeremiah gave us a peek into what it's like being a young black man today. He points to fear and trauma and being neglected by those who are supposed to be lifting him up. How does his thoughts compare to what you've experienced in public safety and even outside of work in your everyday life? I mean, he's he's right. Obviously, he's right, first of all, because he's a young black man. And he's sharing his <laughs> thoughts, right? So yeah. that, we need more of that window into it. Uh, he's definitely right um, in the trauma aspect and the fear aspect. We talked about that. Like, everybody may, assumes people carry guns because they want to do harm, or if they're carrying guns, they're just trying to uh, instill fear in others. But a lot of times, I'm carrying a gun because I want to make sure I'm safe. I got to walk you know, 10 blocks, 20 blocks, whatever it is. We heard the story of the young man that walked, I think, to a couple of miles to Harris Stowe to graduate. So that's a, that is a real thing. And if you have to do that through communities that you're not from and that you feel unsafe in, then there is that fear aspect. Um, so yeah, it's all true. I would say that I think there are people who, he made the comment about people, nobody reasonably wanting to go out and shoot somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would disagree a little bit in that there are probably young people that intend to shoot somebody because they're mad, it's retaliatory or whatever. They may not understand truly the consequences of doing that, Mm. which gets back to the challenges in society and in the communities that are disinvested and marginalized Mm. and and understanding what that really means. Um, And so I think, and I raise that only to say we do need to be cognizant of that because first of all, there's different categories of young black men and young black women. Mm -hmm. They're not all the same. And I think that's one place we make a mistake because we try to craft solutions that may be focused on the kid that is going to school every day, doesn't have any intention of doing anything. Or the kid who may be hanging out with young people who are his friends and he cares about who maybe not be doing what we consider the right thing, but they're still his friends, right? And Mm -hmm. we all are loyal and we value loyalty, right, and trust. And so I think it's important when we think about strategies to think about the, who, what we mean by young adults and who we are trying to, uh, I don't want to say target, but uh, engage. Engage, yeah. right. I'm speaking with Will Pinckney, director of the Office of Violence Prevention for the city of St. Louis. In the same conversation with Jeremiah, I spoke with Justin Boyle, who's another 19-year-old from St. Louis, and he added that along with fear and trauma, there's also the ease of accessing guns. I think like the biggest enabler first is like like we were saying, like Jeremiah was saying, access to guns. Like I think the lex, I think if you take, you know, everything that Jeremiah was saying when we talk about like these root causes and these bigger like socioeconomic factors like, you know, like poverty, homelessness, um, no job opportunities like in your community, your media community and things mm-hmm. like that. If you combine that um, with, you know, red state lax gun laws, that's a horrible combination. You know what I'm saying? Like, St. Yeah. Lu- see St. Louis through the past, like, 40 years. So, like, those, like, combinations, it's, like, those intersections that, like, make everything worse. 
But like at its surface level, I do think, you know, it always stems from like those bigger socioeconomic issues. Cause I don't think like if people, you know, have like jobs to go to and they have good schools to be proud of and like invested in and, you know, really feel like it's supporting them, then they don't, you know, turn to things that are like, okay, I'm gonna kill him and go to jail and throw my life away. That was Justin Boyle, another of the young people that I got the pleasure to hear from about his thoughts on violence. He shared his thoughts on how easy it is to get a gun and what he thinks could stop his contemporaries, teens and early 20-somethings, from getting involved in crime. And we know that just last week, St. Louis Alderman gave the initial approval on city legislation that limits who can openly carry weapons in the city of St. Louis. And that bill is sponsored by Alderwoman Kara Spencer. And she admits that this bill will not address violence overnight, but it is a start. So after addressing guns, what else has to happen to address violence in St. Louis? I think the response to violence needs to change, and I, I think it is changing. Uh, we saw after the tragic incident downtown that you referenced in the office building, um, people really coming out and saying, we need to come together as a community and do something um, because young people need role models. Young people need good education. Young people need um, opportunities to explore things that will give them a passion about something and give them a direction professionally and personally in life. And so it's not one thing. That's, I mean, that's the challenge, right? This yeah. isn't a single solution type um, problem. Um, But I do think it starts with how we respond as a community to violence. I think oftentimes, since I've been in St. Louis, um, we see stuff that happens, right? 11 11 young people were involved in that incident downtown and Mm -hmm. one uh, tragically lost their life. But if you add up all of the incidents in the city in a day, you probably have that pretty frequently, right? right? Almost that same number just Uh, throughout the city. Right. And so... You know, while that was tragic and we responded to that, the question becomes, how are we responding to the incidents that aren't seemingly as tragic because the numbers aren't there in one incident? Mm. And I know that I, I, because I've talked to a lot of people who work in community and and because of that incident, a lot of people have engaged us, right? I know people are looking to change that. We need to be responding, and it's tough because the numbers are kind of high right now, right? Yeah. It's tough to respond to everything, but we need to do that. And if young people see that, it starts to change, I think, the perception of this is acceptable, this is just life, right? This is just what happens. Get, like, apathetic real Yeah, quick. Yeah, desensitized. We're really, like, desensitized. Mm-hmm. And I do see that changing. I think the reaction to the events downtown show that. I think, you know, I've been to some of the rec centers when they've been open late, and I've seen people who don't even live in those communities, aren't even part of an organization that's providing programming, they're not getting paid, and they're like, I just wanna be here because I wanna be here for our young people. And so when we have these incidents, usually what happens is that that dissipates, right? Because it's that immediate response and that emotion intensity and everybody's like, yeah, let's go, we're gonna do this. And then a month later, it's like it never happened because we don't really um, um, take advantage of that emotion and that feeling in that moment and Uh find ways to make sure it's sustained over a long period of time. To use that energy and put it somewhere productive like you feel a type of way now, Yes. let's go, let's do something. Let's go, let's hear your ideas and I think the thing that 
people in St. Louis have been looking for and, and definitely are now is action. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people still want to talk. We know what the solutions are. We've heard it. We've talked to young people. You had young people on your show. Mm-hmm. You know that we can. Know, we know where there's consistency in what people are seeing as the response and what needs to happen. We just need to do it, and we need to find the people who are willing to jump in. They understand the assignment. They're willing to do <laughs> what yeah. needs to be done. And how, no matter how small that is, let's just start, and let's just keep it going as long as we can. And hopefully as people see that, they'll jump on. Are there any violence prevention measures that have had the greatest effect, like, for example, team mediation programs? In the Conflict Resolution Center, mm-hmm. they're doing some great work um, piloting a teen mediation training, uh, and they're working with uh, some schools in the region and the library in the, in the city. And they're trying to train and teach young people how to be mediators themselves so that they can go into school and mediate, learn how to mediate their own conflicts. Um, that de-escalation type training for young people is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that's different about young people nowadays than than previous generations is that the intensity of what they deal with is different. When we were young, you you had friends or you went to school, somebody spread a rumor about you, you know, they talked to somebody, that person may have told somebody. Yeah. You know, some people may know, maybe that's a point that the whole school knows. Today is different because now it's social media. Yeah. So not does first of all it spreads quicker. It's not just the kids in your school. It's other schools, there's people in other cities. Yeah. You know, the intensity of what young people are dealing with today really gets back to that trauma piece. And I know in our conversations with young people, they talked a lot about that trauma, not only from that type of, you know, um, pain and, and attack, but also thinking about family trauma. I mean, young people are smart. They talk a lot about what is handed down from their adults around them. Yeah. And expectations we have on young people when that's how they were raised, that is the how they were socialized mm. to violence or to socialize to, to interpersonal interactions. And we don't take those things into account and we don't help them really deal with that in a way that they feel safe mm. and with people they, who they trust. But I know I asked a group of kids not too long ago I was in a room, I said, well, would you talk to somebody if you trusted them about this? stuff and they all raise their hand yes yeah so you know once again we know the answers we just got to do it yeah justin boyle and jeremiah miller also spoke with me about their ideas around programming Mm -hmm. um that could curb some violence and create Mm -hmm. a safe environment that their peers would want to go to Mm -hmm. um something to supplement the extended hours of the rec centers in the city Here's Justin Boyle with a program idea that he has yet to experience himself, teen clubs. Meet people where they are. You know, if we got kids out here who are trying to party, they want a spot. You know, I've heard all the mythology of past St. Louis years where people growing up, maybe like in your generation, like, oh, we had teen clubs to go to. Oh, we had X, Y, and Z to do. We had structured places where we can go, mm-hmm. turn up, and have fun. So I guess, like, to get this out the way, the obvious one, if people like going to parties and like, you know, having conversations, maybe getting shot, you know, you need to solve that first. Get like top level security. We need like great security at these places. But we do need like, I, I, I think a club would be a great idea. That was Justin Boyle talking about teen clubs, somewhere where young people can party and socialize, but in a safe environment. Will, 
Do you think teen clubs can make a comeback? Um, yeah, I think we can. Uh, to his point, like people talk about as you get older, you just want a place to hang out and you want to be safe. And many of the young people that I know I've been in rooms and we've heard from is to have said that is the first and most important thing. Like we need to be sure it's safe. And at times our parents need to be sure it's safe. And then we'll go and then kids will show up. You mentioned parents in a lot of ways and how they said, you know, they are responsible for the environment these young people are being brought up in, which can all change how they react to certain things that either could lead to them causing violence or being a victim of crime. And when we have these incidents involving young people, teens, early 20-somethings, it's common to hear people bring up the role of their parents. Do you think that's a productive conversation to be had, to ask, where are the parents? So I think it's a productive conversation, but not in a... um, way in which we label people bad parents. Okay. Right? Um, there are parents that do all the right things and their kids still end up committing acts of violence or being victims of violence, right? Yeah. There are parents who do their best to do the right thing, but based on their socialization, based on how they were raised, based on the resources they have access to, the information they have access to, they're doing the best they can. Right? We can't just paint these broad brushes because then how do we expect people then to trust organizations, institutions, or government system players if that's the narrative? That vulnerability to open up and say, like, look, things are not the greatest here, and I do need help, but if I give you too much detail about how not great it is, now I'm in trouble. That's right. And so I think it's easy when we don't feel like we have the answers and we're fearful to just take that response of we got to hold somebody accountable yeah um but it's not that simple it's more nuanced than that now i know that the office of violence prevention has a group of young people that they work with called the ovp kickback team can you tell me about them like who makes up the kickback team and what are they tasked with so it's just starting so it's not a fully formed team when did it start Um, I'd say we put the idea out right after the incident and we brought together that group of uh, young people, right? After the shooting downtown. After the shooting downtown, Mm. right? We started engaging young people because, you know, for me, the challenge is I'm still building the office. Like you said, it's just coming up on a year old, so we're not even fully staffed. So Mm -hmm. I don't like to go down a road too far if we don't have the ability to do it right, right? So we came up with the idea of, you know, we do the kickbacks. We got the name from young people to even call them kickbacks. Those are once a month, right? What's the kickback? So we go out into a community every third Saturday of the month. We bring a DJ. We bring a food truck or two. We bring some vendors. um, And we bring all the organizations that we work with. Mm -hmm. And whether we fund them or not that are willing to come, Mm to say, hey, we know there's been violence, right? Because we're going to pick the places where there's been a lot of violence. Yeah, We're going to come there, and we're going to create a safe space for people for that time that we're there. Usually it's a four-hour time block we're there. Um, I could tell you we were up in Hickey Park, I think it was in May. Okay, what, you know, about what neighborhood or Baden, Okay, up in Baden, right? Because yeah. we know it's a lot of challenges up in Baden. Yeah. But there's a lot of good people up in Baden. There's a lot of good things up in Baden, too, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just out of control. So, you know, we set up there and, you know, some of the organizations told me that when they were setting up, some young kids came over and was like, what's going on? Because 
they're not used to even having things like this, right? So that's another thing. We want to mm. go to places where people aren't used to necessarily seeing on a consistent basis, people coming out and bringing information and resources. And the kids said, oh, wow, we can play in the park today. It's going to be safe. They're hanging out here. And, and that's why you do it, right? It needs, they deserve a day at least. And yeah. I'm sure there's other people in that community working to make sure there's other days. Mm -hmm. But we want to make sure we can come, bring these, these resources, information, and give people an opportunity to get away from that violence and know that there are people there to support them. That these are young people that want to decrease violence in mm -hmm. the city. They want to create safe and healthy neighborhoods. And when I was looking around on your website, I found that your office has requests for proposals out for programs. Mm -hmm. What does that entail? So this is where, you know, we have funds. Right now, mostly ARPA funds that we have to be able to, once again, reach out to communities and community organizations, people who have been doing great work to say, hey, we want to help support that work and provide you at least funding resources, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And hopefully maybe some capacity building to help you build up your organization if that's what you want to do. Could these funds also be used for like the ideas that Justin and Jeremiah came up? Because it was Jeremiah that even invited mm -hmm. the mayor, Mayor Jones, to a <laughs> rave because <laughs> they found community in those parties right. and they felt safe there and they were able to have fun. Right. Could those ARPA funds even go to something like that? So we have uh, it's those could, but we also have a separate part of funds for youth programming that we're going to be putting out of RFP for soon. Uh, so that's definitely could be used. Um, but I would say to Jeremiah or anybody else, like I said, we, we have been meeting with a young group of people, on, um, a group of young people on Fridays at the O'Fallon Park Y at noon, right? We, we came in contact with this group through a request um, right after the downtown shooting to say, hey, we want to talk to young people some more. And so that group has come up with some ideas that we're going to try and put into effect next month, right? Like okay. I said, a three-on-three, -three, citywide three-on-three -three basketball tournament that they want to do. Uh, a 2K tournament. They wanted to do a 1K, one day 2K tournament. And What's like I said, a 2K tournament? Um, 2K NBA basketball. Oh, the video game. The video games, because kids, that's, that's, what, that's they do. what they do. Yeah. So why aren't we doing what, allowing them and supporting them to do what they do? And so if someone has an idea, reach out. I'm not saying that we got unlimited funds and we can do every sure. idea, but you never know. I mean, we're going to find a way, whether it's through us, whether it's through partners. Mm -hmm. Some things don't even require money. I mean, I would argue... The uh, club idea, you need a DJ and you need a space and security. Yeah. Right? I, I, I mean, I really believe that the young person who gave that party downtown, um, if someone maybe has supported that person to say, hey, you want to do this? Okay, we're going to make sure you have a space with security. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be talking about that incident. It's not necessarily about how much money it's going to take to do this. It's about creating an opportunity to and bringing collaborative resources together. And what do you think St. Louisans can do within their own communities to help curb violence or engage with young people? Um, I mean, I think it's as simple as talking to young people, right? Not being afraid because they look a certain way. And that's the image that we've put in our mind that that means danger mm. and that means being unsafe. Uh, there's safety in people talking to each other, working together, and I think creating active spaces in their community. That was Will Pinkney, Director of the Office of Violence Prevention for the City of St. Louis, in conversation with producer Maya Norfleet. This episode was produced by Maya Norfleet. 
Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.